0: don't you hate the feeling when you're um, where you're in a spot where you're like if I make this decision then I'm gonna afraid I'm going to lose out on that but then if I make this decision I'm afraid I'm going to lose out on that and you can't make both decisions do you ever feel that? it's like when you're in business it's scary to take a risk in business right? because you got to take a risk and there's a financial risk when you're in business or when you're like moving jobs or something like that and and uh, and you and you may not like what what you have, and it's a risk to stay there, but it's also a risk to take the jump, right? And so it's scary going both ways. You're terrified of of, of which decision to make, and, and you're and you're wrestling with like which one is going to produce the least you know negative consequence, or maybe the most fruit. I don't know um, if it's if it's like helping someone in crisis. Have you ever helped someone in crisis and you feel like I might actually be doing more harm than good by helping them? So you're like I. I feel like if I don't help them, then something bad could happen. Like you're you're afraid that if you don't provide the help that you that they need, then they're something bad could happen, right? They could they could be they could be homeless. Something could happen to their health. Like you're afraid, but then you're also afraid that if I if I make a decision to help this person, am I going to be in a in, in a difficult spot? Am I going to be like, is there there's other risk involved, right? You're, you you might be stuck helping a certain person. You might be enabling them or something like that, or you might. And it's like kind of goes both ways, right? And it's not obvious or clear which decision is the better one. you're afraid of kind of both results. You're stuck between these two things, and you can't decide on, on which one, um, well, which one to choose, which risk to take, maybe. Or maybe it's like relationships. I don't know if you've ever been put in a position of, um, been put like as a family member ever put you in a position where it's like you have to choose a family member over another family member. That's horrible, right? Right? You're like, why well, I don't. I don't know how to do this without. Like, I don't know how. I don't want to lose both of them, but I also don't want to lose one of them. And I don't know which. I don't know which way to go there. You're terrified of, of, of the social consequence of making one decision over another. It's a bad position. Don't put people in that position. It's horrible. What, raising kids. I, I, I'm raising kids right now. We're like right in the thick of it. Got three and a half year old and one and a half year old, and and we're wrestling with. The, we're in the season. We're wrestling with like if we assert too much control, then we're not actually teaching them to learn for themselves, right? And so, um, so there's a risk of not actually developing them and teaching them self-discipline and self-control by giving them freedom to make mistakes. But then the other risk is, 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 um, is that you let them take too many risks, right? <laughs> you know, and they do crazy stuff, right? And, uh, and it's challenging. It's terrifying. You don't know which way to go. It's exhausting, actually, because we live... I, I don't know about you, but it feels, like, it feels like every decision that we have to make, if, like, you know, there's, there's some decisions where, like, there's clear black and white, Right? But then, most of the decisions we're making day to day, it feels like it's like a gray kind of like it's risk on both ends. There's fear on both sides. There's a there's a there's a consequence on both sides. There's there's a fear of some sort of loss on both sides. And I don't know about you, but the more exposed we are to like the world around us, the more exposed we are to options. We keep talking about this. The more stress we feel, the more anxious we feel because. Well, it's not like there's just two options that are local options anymore. Like, we live in a global economy. There's a million options of where to invest your money, you know? And there's a million different options of, of of how to behave and where to move and for what purpose. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's so many options. It's really exhausting. feels like there's always a fork in the road for us. Like, there's always two paths, and, and we're we afraid of choosing one over losing out on the other. But also vice versa. We've been talking about... Um, anxiety, but more anxiousness. You know, we haven't been talking about anxiety in the sense that, like, some people, um, you know, have, have, have some things going on biochemically in their body that produces more anxiety in them, right? They're just higher, they have a higher level of anxiousness than, than the average person. What we've been talking about mostly is it's kind of the low-grade everyday anxiety that I think we all feel, and that we are all feeling more today than anyone has ever felt. And that is, um, that is that's, um, statistically true, Right? And uh, maybe it's just self-reporting. Maybe people are weaker than they've ever been. That's what some people say. I don't think that's the case. I think, I think the reason is because we have way more choices to make, right? We have way more, we more decisions to make. There's way more options in the world, so we're we're anxious more because, because 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 that's the anxiety is this or that, right? Or this or that, or this or that, or this and that and this. Like it's a million things, right? And it's exhausting. And uh, and then we're also stuck between like, which which decisions to make that are moral and 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 whatnot or. or Whatever. So what we've been doing all summer, we've been talking about anxiety, we've been talking about anxiousness, we've been talking about becoming a uh, non-anxious presence Been the language we've been using. And we believe that if we, um, if we live in truth and we follow, like, if we follow Jesus fully, if Jesus is God and we follow him properly, then, then our lives will be less wracked with anxiety because we'll have a lot more clarity of direction. We'll have a lot more clarity on what decisions to make and which ones not to make if we um if we live in such a way that is fully submitted to the will of God and, and trusting God with our lives. So and 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 we'll also live in um we'll live in light of reality, right? We've been talking about this framework. You guys have seen it on the screen. We don't have a screen today because I didn't make the slide. But um we've been talking about how deceptive ideas lead to disordered desires, which lead to sinful societies. And what that means is deceptive ideas, like things that are not fully true or lies like Buying this thing will make you happy, right? We know that's a deceptive idea because we buy it and we're not happy. So we know it's a deceptive idea. You're laughing, right? Because we just did it this week seven times, right? <laughs> you know? um, and, uh, but then when it, it does, this deceptive idea is buying this thing will make us happy will disorder our desires. So then we'll reorder our desires away from simplicity and love and generosity and we'll reorder them to then go buy the thing to make us happy, right? That's what we do. We reorder our desires. We reorder our loves. And, uh, and then when we're doing that as a community, as a society, at least a sinful society, then we have societies that are built on buying things to make us happy. And that's what we live in today. In the West particularly, we live in a cultural society, an economically driven society that the, the king is buying things will make us happy. Getting your home, a new home will make you happy. Upgrading your home will make you happy. Newer car will make you happy, right? That's how we live, and that's what, like, we're advertised to a million times a day being told this message, right? And this message is a deceitful idea that is not because we're Christians and we're saying it's a deceitful idea because that's what Christians say. It's a deceitful idea because we're humans and we've lived it and it doesn't work, right? And it happens to not coincide with what Jesus talks about. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time on a biblical concept that we've kind of hit on over the summer but we're going to look at it a little bit deeper because I don't think we've really meditated on this concept and it uh, it goes along with our conversation about becoming a non-anxious presence. So in Proverbs 1 chapter 1 verse 7 it says this it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. This is the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, for those of you who don't know, I think most of you do, is a uh, is a book in the Old Testament that was uh, collected by a king named Solomon who was known to be one of the wisest men to ever live in. And what he would do is he would write some of these things, but he also would uh, just collect them. He'd collect wisdom from all over the world. He was a man of means. He was a king with lots of things, right? He had, he had everything in the world. He was one of the wealthiest men to have ever lived in that time. And, uh, and he had the means to go and collect wisdom from different places, from different cultures, from different ends of the earth, and compile it together in this thing that we have that's called Proverbs. So when you read the book of Proverbs, it's just about, it's all wise sayings, right? This is at the beginning because what Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, who had the means to collect all the wisdom from around the world, he put this at the beginning of it because he wanted everybody to understand that all the stuff that you're about to read, it actually starts with this. It starts with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. And if we can get that, then everything else we can get but if we try to get all this other stuff but we don't get that then we're gonna we're gonna miss it kind of thing that was his that was his thing I think there's different kind of people in the room this morning I think there's people in this room who didn't grow up um, with a Christian background who maybe reading this verse is like new to you or fresh to you or is you're looking at it going huh yeah, I guess I may have heard that before, but I'm not really sure about what it means and where it comes from. I think there might be somebody in the room or a few people in the room who like that. You could say, oh, okay, that's new to me. Let's learn about it. I don't think that's most of us in the room. I think most of us in the room have heard this verse before, right? Nod your head if you've heard this before, yeah. And I think most of us in the room have uh, heard it a lot of times, and uh, we have a lot of certainty about what it means and uh, what it means for our life. Many of us grew up in a Christian tradition, Either Catholic or Orthodox or Evangelical. And, uh, and they all say the same thing, right? Because they're all reading the same book, believe it or not. And um, I don't know who that's a shot at. <laughs> Probably myself. So there's different experiences with this verse. A lot of people grow up knowing it, understanding it, but we have different experiences with it, different, uh, different understandings of it. Some people grew up in a tradition where the fear of God was instilled in them at a young age. Raise your hand if you grew up in a tradition where, like, from a young, young age, you got the fear of God. You understood it. Yeah, I mean, you grew up, brethren, right? You really understood. It. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still yeah, you're still scared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about that, right? Because that's surreal, right? Um, you grew up in a tradition where it was like, no, I don't, I don't need that. Like, my problem was that I lived with anxiety every single day because of the fear of God, right? Because of how it was instilled in me. Some of us were um, were taught this from such a young age in a way that basically our whole childhood we were, instead of like doing fun things and exploring what we're supposed to explore, we were like racked with this anxiety and fear around, gosh if I upset God, I'm toast, you know. I remember having a student in uh, the youth program I used to be a part of and, uh, and he struggled with this a lot. He, almost every single week he would come to youth and, and we would spend like sometimes hours talking him off the cliff, um, because he, he he would do something throughout the week, right? He would slip up on something, he would make a mistake that a teenage boy would make, he would say something a teenage boy shouldn't, he would be rude to his mom, he would, you know, look at something on the internet, and uh, and so he would show up to youth every week, and he was racked with this fear, he was terrified, he's like, I'm not worthy, God doesn't love me, I'm terrified of the consequences, I deserve hell, I'm gonna go to hell, I'm terrified of the Lord and the consequences for my sin, the thing that I did wrong, Right? And every week, we would spend so much time with this student trying to like tell him about the grace of God and tell him about the love of God and tell him about the mercy of God. And, 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 and oftentimes, we'd get to the end of the evening and, and, and we'd be like, okay, we've talked him off the cliff, right? And then he'd show up the next week right, with the same anxiety. And he outgrew that by the grace of God. And this is a young man today that I love a lot and respect a lot, and, uh, and he's doing very well comparatively. But, but in the moment, it felt like, man, um, what he doesn't need to hear is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, right? Maybe he needs to be taught it properly, but, but he had no problem with fearing God, right? He had a whole lot of problem with being loved by God and loving himself, right? So some of us grew up with that tradition. Some of us have that experience with this conversation. And, uh, and what has happened is, is some of us who grew up with that you, you, you came to a point where you're like this is not healthy or good and, and then maybe, maybe what has happened is you found a space that softened this a lot for you you found like a, a space where they're like no fear doesn't mean fear right fear means reverence right and you're like oh that's better I don't have to be afraid anymore you know and, uh, and, that, and that, um, that resonated with you right and, and, so, and so now when you hear it you're like no that doesn't actually mean fear right it just means reverence and awe right because we, we, we swing that's sometimes what we do I think there's another group of people in the room, and this is kind of uh, sort of related, but I think there's another kind of group of people in the room who, um, well, I'll say this about myself, I'm not this way, and it's not because I did anything, it's because I grew up with a father who modeled love and discipline well in a healthy way. Like, I grew up with a father who, um, I grew up with a really healthy dad, comparatively. And so when I see this, the fear of the Lord, the fear of fa- God, the Father, like I don't, there's nothing in me that gets triggered in any kind of way. Like I, don't, I don't feel, um, when I hear fear here, I don't think like abuse, or I don't think manipulation, or I don't think danger. I don't think attack or consequence. I don't think that. But the reality is, the more I look into it, the reality is that my experience is, un- is, is not unique, but it's not the most common. The most common experience is that people will hear something like this, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Father, God, because the Lord here is Yahweh, God the Father, and, uh, and what they are hearing or what they're picturing is Dad, and, it's, and, 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 and they're actually picturing be afraid of Dad. I was never afraid of my dad. When I was like a brat seven-year-old, like, he would twist my ear, right, and I didn't like that, right? But I didn't grow up afraid of dad. A lot of people grow up afraid of dad, right? Like, you're hearing this, and you're going, like, yeah, I get that, because, because dad, like, every night after his fourth drink, I was terrified of him, Or right? You understand that. You understand what it's like to, like, run away and hide from dad, and so when you hear that, some of you guys in the room, you, you, you hear that and, and it triggers this really negative response in you because fear of dad, fear of the father, fear of the Lord is like, that's, a, that's, that's, that's a, you're afraid of abuse. And you're supposed to be, right? And so I get that this verse, just this verse alone triggers that in a lot of you, and a lot of people in our community, right? So it's hard to talk about because we've got to talk about it. Because it's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But we've got to get this right, or at least try to get it closer to being right. There's another group of us. And I suspect that I would fall into more of this category, and some of you would as well. During your formative years, um, you attended churches and worship services that were like rebelling against their fundamentalist roots, right? Like you may have grown up brethren or something like that, and then you started like, and then there were like people who grew up brethren that started churches they're like we're nothing like them right and and they swung right real far they swung real far to like the, you've never you've never underst- you've never been taught that fear means fear you've only been taught that fear means reverence you've only been taught that fear means wonder and awe right you've never been taught that fear actually means to be afraid to tremble because our churches, what we do is we swing from side to side, right? And I don't know where I'm swinging, but I'm sure I'm swinging somewhere, right? Because it's what we do. We react to things, right? And so maybe you grew up in a tradition where, like, for you, you don't actually even get the fear of God. Like, you you only hear this through the lens of, like I said, reverence and, uh, and awe. I, um, I, I kind of liken this to, uh, like, a, an athlete, like an athlete who you look up to. You you know when you're watching somebody really good at their craft, you're just like, Wow, dude, that's you know, crazy, right? You know what I mean? This weekend we played in a tournament, Jacob and I and Tim played in a softball tournament, it was a charity tournament. And this tournament was organized by a group of friends of mine. Um, started four years ago. It's called the J. Freeman Cancer Crush Fest. And and uh the, the tournament was organized in honor of a friend of ours named Jason Freeman. Jason Freeman was a twenty-six-year-old like, college-level baseball athlete, all-star from right here in the GTA, Mississauga North kid, born and raised in Meadowvale. And, uh, and, and at 26, well, 25, he developed uh, testicular cancer, and by 26, he died. Perfect shape, unbelievable athlete, right? The guy you would never expect would die young because he did everything to not die young, you know? And he died at 26. Couldn't beat this battle with testicular cancer. Totally out of his control, did everything he possibly could. And so, so uh, he played on a softball team with, with, with some friends of mine, my sister and her friends here in Milton, a co-ed team. And, and, uh, and in his honor, we um, well, they, but together, we, we organized a, a softball tournament, a charity tournament raising funds for Princess Margaret Hospital uh, where he got a lot of his treatment. Four years running. It's been awesome. Every year it's grown. We had 14 teams this year, and it was really fun. And I think they'll probably, the goal was to raise over $30,000. They did 20000 last year, hopefully 30000 this year. None of that matters, but it's important for you to know that that's why I am so sunburnt today. (laughs) And that you're all wondering, what was he doing? We were on the ball diamond from 7.30 a.m. till 10 p.m. yesterday. Played five games, in the beating sun, no shade, and I don't fear the Lord uh, so I don't wear sunscreen. Anyway. There's, um, there's a home run derby though, so there's a home run derby, and uh, in the middle of the tournament, and I like home run derbies. I can hit a home run, like I can hit them. I also know there's guys who can hit home runs. You know what I mean? I'm not there. So there's 15 guys in this home run derby, and I out of 15 guys, nine of them didn't hit any, and they were good. They weren't like they weren't slugs. Like they were good baseball players, good hitters. The only people who sign up for a home run derby are people who think they'll actually hit one out right, because nobody wants to embarrass themselves, well, nine guys embarrassed themselves, right, because they thought they could, and they didn't, I hit one out, we had two minutes, I hit one out, it was a big park, and there was wind working against us, and I hit one out, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you were there, you're like, yeah, none of these are going out, so there was me, and I, I, I can hit home runs, and then there was like the guys who hit a lot out, right, there was guys who hit like five, six, seven out, and uh, and there's a difference between me and them, right? They're actually like both good at baseball and in great shape, um, or one of them is just huge. He's amazing, but um, but then so one of my friends, he won this turn, he won the home run derby a few years ago. This was Jason Freeman, the guy who passed away. It's his best friend, Cooper, and he's an unbelievable ball player, unbelievable ball player. And he gets up there for like the second year in a row. He makes it into the second round. He hit seven in the first round, which was the top out of everyone and he's not he's the smallest guy who made it to the second round. He's Jack, but he's not a huge guy. He makes it to the second round. He hit 14 home runs in 2 minutes, right? I hit one and I can hit home runs. He hit 14 in 2 minutes. You were, we were watching that, right? And you're just like, okay, that's a ball player right there. You know what I mean? And uh, and I remember standing there on the sideline, I'm just like watching this guy. Cooper's just hitting bombs and I'm just like in awe of it. Like I, I'm, I'm looking at him, going, "There's a big gap between me and him." Like if that that guy's a ball player and I'm not, comparatively, right? There's this sense of awe, this reverence that this guy who's half my size hit 14 and I can only hit one, right? So that's typically the picture that we get. Some of us who grew up in different traditions, right? We hear the fear of the Lord and we go, "Cooper, you know, he hits bombs, right?" That's that's what it means to. To fear God, it means to look at him and go, wow, that guy's jacked. That guy's really good at that. That's amazing. That's impressive. That's beyond anything I'll ever achieve kind of thing. And uh, the fear of the Lord does mean that. The problem with this understanding of the fear of the Lord is it doesn't just mean that. It actually means a lot more than just that. It means that too, but it means more. In Scripture, um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, fear didn't just mean, wow, That's amazing. Fear actually meant, um, oh no, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I should tremble kind of thing. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But I think, the reason we're talking about this is I think that if we grasp the understanding of fear, the Old Testament and the New Testament understanding, and the Old Covenant and the New uh, New Covenant, if we understand it, I think that um, we will live lives in such a way that produce less anxiousness and more joy and more peace. And the reason that sounds contradictory is because what you might be used to hearing is fear is like the opposite of anxiety, right? You might hear anxiety, well it's the same thing, right? So, so peace is the opposite of fear. There's no way that there's peace as a result of fear, right? Maybe that's what, how you grew up and we want to talk about that a little bit. So we're talking about three perspectives of fear. Three basically, three things that fear is and that it does. Fear of the Lord. Can we do that this morning? The first thing is in Psalm 33, 8. It says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants in the world stand in awe of him. So in Psalms, we read that the fear of the Lord is all the inhabitants of the world standing in awe of him. Kind of like what we just talked about. It's, it's, it's like me standing on the baseball diamond watching Cooper hit 13 more home runs than me being half my size. It's, it's like, uh, it's recognizing the divide between the two. That's the, that's the language. It, it's, it's, um, it's, it's being, it's seeing how set apart the Lord is, right? That's what he's talking about. He's saying um, there's a massive gap between who we are, all the inhabitants of the earth, and who God is. And, and we're in awe of, of that. It's kind of like when you watch a movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Right? Anybody watch a movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson and not feel totally useless and pathetic? <laughs> you do? Oh. Maybe he's not what you aspire to be. <laughs> Nor should you, Ashlyn. Nor should you. Yeah, it's like that feeling, right? You look at it and you're like, man, okay, that guy. And I'll never get there. So it's the breathlessness when you go to the mountains. Who's been, who? Anybody grow up in the mountains? You kind of. Anybody been to the mountains lately? You stand at the foot of a mountain and you look up and you're like, <gasps> right? And then there's people who live there, they forget that. Like, how do you forget that? It's amazing. It's breathlessness. It's like, it's so much bigger, more powerful and immovable and you're just, you're just you, you know? And so there's like an awe associated with it. I don't know if you've been to like mu- a musical production lately where it was like, where you listened to a piece of music that was so Perfect. And you're like, I'll never get there. Like, I could practice every day for the rest of my life, eight hours a day, and I'll never do that, you know? That sense of awe. Does anybody like theater? Anybody here like theater? Okay, you like theater? I was never into theater, and I wouldn't claim that I am. One of the first theater things we went and saw was Matilda, which, like, I don't know. Is it great? Who knows, right? (laughs) I thought it was amazing. I'm looking at it going, like, these little kids, memorized, Every step and every word and every note, and I was like amazed by it. Like Matilda got me into theater, because I just sit there and I watch it, like the the technical like perfection, and it's amazing. It's it's awe inspiring. There's a v- divide between me and them, right? Even these kids are way better at everything than I am. You know, there's a huge gap between us. So that's kind of the the vision here in Psalm 33 8 the divide between us and God is way bigger. That's the language, right? It's like God's infinite and you're not, right? You're not only small in comparison to Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? You're, right, you are, right? And I'm less small and still small in comparison, to Emily, right? Um, but then there's, there's God, right? And like Dwayne's way smaller to God than I am to Dwayne, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. You know very little compared to God. You have very little control compared to God. God is perfectly sovereign in his control and you obviously can't even control your own eating habits, right? God is in so much control. And uh, it's when we stop and we're reminded of God's greatness and his majesty that we can't help but be in awe. It's amazing. And that's, uh, that's fear, right? Like if you stood at the foot of a mountain, you wouldn't say necessarily that that's fear, but there's something in you that's like, you tremble a little bit, right, with the power of it and that's that's the idea here with with God. the gift of it I don't know about you, but and, and maybe this maybe this doesn't happen for you. I think it happens for me if i'm if I'm honest is when i'm in a place like that, I become less anxious, like i actually um when I fear the Lord in that sense, what I think is happening I could be wrong with this, but what I think is happening is is I am recognizing. That I am not the center of my life. Being the center of my life is exhausting, right? Being the center of my life creates anxiety. Thinking I can do more than I can do or be more than I am is is exhausting because I'm never living up to that, right? So I'm anxious because I feel like I'm always failing at who I hope I could possibly be or something. And and uh, and, and what looking at God like that does for me, I think it, I think this is what's happening is is it, it's actually like putting God in the center again and taking me off of it, like taking the pressure off me, you know? Because it's like, man, I don't have that much control and I can only do so much and I am who I am and I could, there's a little bit that I could get better at but like this is God and it's his world and it's his universe and he's doing it and you know, at the end of the day, like he's supposed to be on the throne and not me, right? Everything around us, secularism, what it does is it centers you. That's what it does. It centers you to sell you stuff. That's what's happening. You're the center, meaning is created by you and when you obtain things, right? Buy stuff from us so that you can have meaning in your life. You're the center, right? And what this does is actually centers God in your life. I think that's why it produces more joy and more peace and less anxiety. You'd think the opposite. You'd think saying that you're powerful and you're in control produces less anxiety, but it doesn't, from my experience. It makes me more anxious. Because even with control, I do crazy, dumb stuff. So the first thing it does is it creates this gap between. The fear of the Lord creates this gap between us, and it's a good thing. It actually helps with our anxiety. It doesn't hurt with it. Second thing it does is it keeps us from sinning. The fear of the Lord keeps us from sinning. I don't know if you've ever read this before. In Exodus 20, have you read the Ten Commandments? I assume you have. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know them, right? You know at least seven of them, right? At least seven of them. So there's the Ten Commandments. This is like the point where God gives these commands to Moses, and Moses is supposed to bring them down to the nation of Israel who was God's chosen people, and he says, live like this. This is how you live. So that's what's happening. And then this is what this is what happens right after. Like right after. Okay? So all the people they were seeing the thunder and the lightning happening on this mountaintop or whatever, where God's receiving or Moses is receiving these Ten Commandments. And uh, they heard the sound of the horn and they saw the mountain smoking, right? It's this crazy event. And when the people saw it, they trembled with fear and they kept their distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They're terrified of God, right? They're like, whoa, that's power. That is danger, smoke and lightning and thunder and get us away from there. We'll speak to you, but that's too much for us, right? That's scary. And then Moses goes to the people. He goes, don't, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you so that you don't sin. The whole point of the 10 commandments was to say, hey, look, here's how you live. Here's how God wants you to live. People were like, keep us away from God. We don't want to be near God. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's It's actually good that you fear God. Don't run away from that. It's good that you fear God. You're supposed to fear God. The point of fearing God is to keep you from sinning, right? I don't know about you. This is, a, this is a universal truth. This is universal. I think everybody will agree on this. I think everyone will agree on it. Tell me if you're wrong. Maybe Bob won't. Where's Bob? Bob may not agree on this. There he is. Sorry, Bob. Everybody else, we're in agreement on this, I think. There's a, there's a lot of things I wouldn't do that, or there's a lot of things I don 't do because i 'm afraid of the consequences that if there wasn't consequences I would do okay one of those things we can all i think we can all agree on this would you still pay your taxes if 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 um if the government wasn't going to like arrest you would you still pay your would you still pay your taxes if uh, right like you would <laughs> okay you're, you're a good man right but would you would you like if you weren't afraid of being fined being audited being put in jail like whatever like would you just freely pay your taxes. Let me thought experiment. You go to Shoppers Drug Mart I bought some diapers this morning. Actually, they don't charge tax on diapers. So let's set that aside. You go somewhere and you buy something and and the clerk they go, "Hey sir, would you like to pay 13% more to the government uh, to be, you know, stewarded, you know, possibly unwisely? Like would you like to give 13% more of your money? Would you do you want to do that? How often are you going to say, "Sure, dude." Take my 13% more, you know, and yeah, I'm, I trust it in your hands. Thought experiment. Would you say, sure. Yeah, okay. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right, right? Now, that's not to say that paying taxes is a bad thing. It's a good thing, right? But we probably wouldn't. Maybe it's a good thing. In some ways, it's a good thing, but maybe we wouldn't do it if we weren't forced to. I don't know about you, but that's um, that's me. Like, if someone's asking me that at Shoppers Drug Mart, I'm saying, hard pass. No, thank you, you know? No, thanks. I'll keep that. I trust that in my hands more than your hands. That's what I would do. Maybe that, maybe that means I line up somewhere politically. I don't know. Maybe that just means I trust myself more than others. Maybe I don't know what that. Maybe I'm a selfish jerk. Maybe that's what it means. I don't know, but I think I would say, No, I'm good. I'm good. I got this one right. That was safe because we all agree on that one, except for Bob. Right? There's other things though. There's a lot of law. And ethics and moral decisions you wouldn't make if you weren't afraid of consequences. If you're being fair and honest, my brother would—he already drives way over the speed limit. He would drive way over the speed limit, right? If he wasn't at least afraid that there might be a cop around the corner. And I understand. I get that. I spoke with um, I spoke with a mom the other day at the baseball tournament. They have, she has kids my kids' age, three and a half and one and a half. And we were talking about parenting, we are talking about discipline, because three and a half is like right in the thick of teaching discipline. You're smiling because you're like, yeah, 100%, right there. I understand you, sucks to be you, glad I'm out of it, right? That's what you're thinking right now? Thank you for that. So she goes, um, she's like, I didn't ask her, I didn't say, how many times you spank your kids? <laughs> like, she just offered that, right? She said, I've only spanked my kids twice. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, people say weird things to pastors at baseball tournaments, Right? They, they, they think they have to justify certain actions, you know what I mean? They just tell you, You're, what are you laughing about back there, right? You just like offer up information, right? Because you think I'm supposed to. And that, this person was doing that, I don't know why. But they told me that they, they've only spanked their kids twice, and this is the only reason why. And they said um, both reasons were because my kid was making a decision that threatened their life. It's like one of them was, um, I think she said something like her kid ran into the street or something like that. And she's like, that's when I had to lay down the law. Like, I had, to, I had to spank my kid to make sure that they were more afraid of me spanking them um, in the future so they wouldn't run in the street, right? So they wouldn't, so they wouldn't you know, potentially hurt themselves, right? I don't remember what the other circumstance was. But I get that, you know? I'm not taking a position on spanking here or anything like that. Maybe I am, but we're not being explicit about it. But, um, but if you spend any time with a three-year-old... You can talk to a three-year-old, you can negotiate with a three-year-old, right? You can, they'll negotiate with you, right? Yeah, you can negotiate with them, you're not reasoning with them, right? You're negotiating with them because they learn to talk, but they haven't quite learned to think, right? And they don't know enough about the world to know what's right or what's best. So you could spend all your time negotiating with them, but you'll get nowhere you won't actually reason with them to a point where they understand the decision that they're making and why it's going to help them in the immediate and the long-term future. You have to, as a parent, in some way, and, and spanking is just one way that that happens. There's a million other ways that it happens. You're, um, you're instilling a fear in them to not behave a certain way that's destructive, right? So either it's like, here's a, here's a, here's a benefit, here's a, here's a thing, and if you want it, make sure you behave Right? What you're actually doing is saying you should be afraid of not getting that reward. That's what reward is, right? It's still fear-based. It's still your kids gonna behave because they're afraid of losing out on something, right? It's all fear-based, right? And that's the only way parent like that's that is teaching discipline. That is parenting. We understand that. Like we understand that within the economy of raising kids and growing kids into maturity and teaching the discipline is instilling fear of making poor decisions, right? Otherwise, what they'll do is they'll not pay their taxes, right? They'll drive over the speed limit. We'll do crazy things that could threaten them in some kind of way and threaten others around them. So, so we understand that, and this is the economy of God. We got to understand that this is this is this is what we're reading here. The economy of God is that well, there should be a fear so that you make good decisions, so that you don't cause destruction and pain, because our selfish motivations, our flesh, what we talked about, wants to do other things, right? It doesn't always want to bless. In Proverbs 14, 7, it says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So the fear of the Lord is actually for life so that you turn away from things that cause death. The fear of the Lord does not cause death. And what it means here is fear like trembling, We read it in Exodus 20. They were terrified. That's what it actually means. It's not just the awe of God will make you turn away from the snares of death. No, it's like you, you're, you're afraid of God so that you turn away from things that are going to cause death. So that, that, that's a reasonable interpretation of it. That. That's what it's saying. It's what it's teaching. So 2 Corinthians 7.1, it says the same thing, similar. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The idea there is that as we fear God, what's going to be actually happening is we're going to produce holiness. We're going to start living holiness. You don't start living a holy life just because you decide to, because your flesh doesn't want to. That's what we've been talking about, right? You, you, you become holy. You're formed into living out uh, holiness and being completed in holiness, starting with a fear of God. That's the language. Does that make sense? So people like me, who may be soft on fear, we need to recapture a scriptural perspective of fear, I think, a little bit. There are a lot of times that I need to be afraid of a decision that I'm making, not afraid of what people are going to think, being actually afraid of what God actually thinks of it, like actually having a a real fear. I remember praying this week. We prayed with our group this week um, at 7 a.m., and one of the topics was fear of the Lord, and uh, and I remember if God, God, I think He made it pretty clear to me. He said, I, "I don't think you're afraid enough of the consequences of your sin," and He didn't mean like in an eternal sense. I don't think. I think I think what he I think what God was saying to me, and I'm trying to process it. Like, I should tremble more at the destruction and the pain and the hurt that my sin causes. Like it should make me fall at the feet of Jesus and tremble in fear, not because. Jesus is unpredictable, but because my behavior actually produces that kind of negative outcome. And uh, there is consequence for that. I think that's the idea. The beautiful thing is that God's not an abusive father. And the trembling is not a trembling at the feet of an unpredictable tyrant. That's the gift of grace. We have a God who is merciful and who, who is loving and is kind. And we don't have to sit afraid of what he's going to react like but our proper response is still fear and trembling at his feet Mother Teresa she once said um, quiet time with the Lord what she meant by that is like spending time at the feet of Jesus it produces loving thoughts which produces loving action which produces a peaceful life I don't know about you but the most amount of peace I have in my life is when I am living in the way that that I think God wants me to live and the times where I'm feeling a lot of anxiety is when I'm not all that sure about it or I know that I'm not, right? And for our conversation today, I think what she's saying is similarly, when you spend time at the foot of the cross and, and, you, and you fear God properly, right? What it produces is it actually produces something in you that, um, that leads you to make really good decisions rather than some of the poor decisions. And, the, and when you make good decisions, good decisions in light of what God says are good decisions, then it produces a peaceful life. Like you can live confidently with yourself, Because you know you're doing what's good and what's right. You know you're not just feeding the flesh. You know that you're actually walking in the spirit. That's kind of the language. So so what we've been talking about here is the the first two things is is that fearing the Lord, it means and it produces awe and wonder. It keeps us from sinning. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to like be afraid of consequences. So you do the right thing because you're afraid of consequences. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Especially in immaturity. The third thing it does, this is really important. I think it's the most important. Is it actually perfects our love perfects our love. In 1 John 4, this is um, a part of a a bigger um, uh, section of text that you should go home and read. It's really powerful. He goes, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And you might be thinking that's contradicting everything you just said. And it sort of is. 1 John 4, it talks all about how um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is is, uh, is not a gospel of fear of punishment. The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually about love, and uh, and that what what Jesus does is he produces a love in us and it casts out a fear. And it says here a fear of punishment, right? It casts out that fear as we're perfected in love. Now the language there is important: is that as we're perfected in love, right? It doesn't assume you're perfected in love. I think the problem that we do with New Testament and New Covenant Christians is we think, oh, we're perfected in love, and you're not, right? There's a life of sanctification that happens to the believer as you become perfected in love and you walk instead with the Spirit. This is the gift, and this is the ideal, and this is where we get to get to, but this is also where we haven't quite arrived yet. Jesus has arrived here. That's the gospel. Jesus has arrived here, but our faith hasn't quite caught up. And the life of a Christian and faithfulness and obedience and sanctification is your life growing into and being formed into the likeness of Christ, catching up with being perfected in love, both individually and collectively as a community. We start with fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, right? But it's not the end. And for Israel, that's where they started. You understand that the, the story of the old covenant and the new covenant is God starting with Israel, but that wasn't the end, right? They were a part of a story that led to this. And their part of the story, the Exodus twenty part of the story, was kind of the the beginning of, hey, you should be afraid so that you start behaving properly because you're acting like crazy barbarians and that's not what God wants for you. But what the the gospel of Jesus Christ is the culmination of that. It's look, this was the plan all along. We started there, but this is where we eventually get to. The New Covenant shows us that the Old Covenant was always about love, that discipline and the consequences and the fear of punishment was actually all about love all along, and it was a trajectory towards it. And we don't quite understand the gospel, and we don't quite understand this gospel of love until we understand the gospel of consequences for our choices. We don't really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in love until we understand the Old Covenant. We understand the New Covenant unless we understand the Old Covenant. For us today... For some of us, like I said, fear and trembling is par for the course for you at the feet of God. For many of us in Western culture and society, especially with the rise of secularism and growing up in a secular environment, fear and trembling at the feet of God is not even a concept we understand. And what it does is it's actually robbing us from understanding the incredible gift of grace that is actually found in Jesus. It, it, it stops us from understanding the vastness of the love because we don't quite understand the fear and trembling over the consequences of our actual sin. And believe it or not, when we do live this way, in light of both understandings, that's what produces the non-anxious life. That's what produces joy. That's what produces peace in our life. Philippians six, uh, Philippians 4, 6-7, it says this. It says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, i.e., at the feet of God asking Him for all things and thanking Him for all things, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. I think what He's saying is when we really get this. When we understand this, we understand the fear of the Lord in a very real sense, not in just awe and wonder, but also in the sense of there's consequences of the decisions that we make. It makes us fall at the feet of God, it makes us tremble, and it should. But then when we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can come to God, even in the midst of that. God relieves us from our anxiety and produces joy and peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Because we understand the depths and depravity of our sin, but we understand then the grace and love of God, and then we can live in that. We can live in that peace that God's in control and we're not. God's bigger than we're not. God's grace and love is so much bigger than ours ever will be. And um, and we just need to submit to the submit Christ as the body of Christ and live in life who He's called us to be and what He's called us to do. And by doing so, we're formed spiritually and guided towards holiness freedom, love, joy, and generosity, goodness, peace, and a life of sacrifice. That's what the good news of Jesus is. And that's what we're chasing as a community. So my hope this morning is that you get uh, a reminded of a picture of fear of the Lord, understanding of, balanced understanding of the fear of the Lord. That this, this week, you can go and, um, and maybe you actually need to tremble at the feet of God this week because you're just continuing to live perpetually in a way that's actually causing destruction to his people, to his family, to his work, to his kingdom and it's time for you to get back to the foot of Jesus and tremble because of how powerful and tremble at the fact that there's really bad consequences for that and then at the same time if you're doing that sit at the feet of Jesus and understand that his, his work on the cross paid for that, the consequence of that and that's the gift to you and the Christian life is living out of that. So maybe this week is a week for you to do that. Let's pray. And uh, and then go from here on Sunday. We're not going to sing another song because Bethany's doing a million things this morning because we didn't have any kids workers again. We will next week, though. Thank you, everybody. Um, so we're not going to sing any songs. We're just going to go from here, put on some music and hang out and, uh, and consider some of these thoughts. Jesus, uh, we're... Um, I think as a community, we're like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I uh, I think that we're we're reminded we're reminded of, of of how how big you are, how majestic you are, how powerful you are, how little we are in comparison, how much control over the whole world and the universe that you have, and how little that we have, and that frees us. It also terrifies us because we don't like not having control, but it's a good thing. I think we're also reminded, God, that there are severe consequences for the way that we treat each other. And there are severe consequences for our selfishness. There's severe consequences for constantly investing into our empire and not into your kingdom. Like, there are severe consequences for it. You're very clear in the Old and the New Testament of what you've called us to do and how you've called us to live. And uh, most of us, day by day, uh, aren't living in light of that. And, and, uh, and, and therefore, there's consequences to it. And there's not eternal consequences if we have life in you. But there are still consequences. The reason why there was eternal consequences in the past is because you, well, because it was causing brokenness and destruction in the world, and, and that still happens. By your grace, we don't need to suffer the severe consequence that we're due, but it still causes destruction and brokenness, and that should leave us in a position of awe and, and, and fear and trembling at the fact that we still do that all the time. But then, man, the gift, God, is that we're here today living free because of, because of who you are and what you did. And what you want for us is to be perfected in love, and I believe that that will happen if we continue to set our eyes on you, we continue to focus on you, we continue to spend time in prayer and supplication with you. I think that what will happen is we will continue to be perfected in love, and what a gift it is to be perfected in love. What a free life it is to be perfected in love. And the joy and the peace and the non-anxiousness that will come with that, God, we're... Um, we're looking towards, and we're striving towards, and we're and we're hoping for, and praying for, and asking for, and becoming. And thanks for uh, this this community, and this space to be that. That's a gift to us from you. In all things, Lord, we want to honor you with our day. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen.